0: Are you ready to challenge the rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, March 9th. You're listening to me, Foremost, that where I live and broadcast here on the Oregon coast, I'm less than half a mile from the coast, and we are under a very rare hurricane wind warning alert. It's quite quite windy and fierce. Uh, there's a lot of <laughs> noise here in my studio from the wind. It's not a soundproof studio, um, but I also feel the building moving a little bit. So they say it's because the winds are going to be like 75 to 85 miles an hour and waves as high as 25 feet or or even more. They expect flooding. Um, All the beaches here uh, are closed and the public parks uh, in the beach areas are closed. Um, So who knows? They say it's going to go on all night. So uh, wish me luck. Hopefully we don't get knocked off of the air. All of that aside, uh, tonight's show is truly going to be all about the Oregon standoff. Um, I guess tonight we're also going to talk about the Oregon standoff. I'm not going to be going elsewhere. I did have a different show planned tonight. Um, however, there has been so much news that, is, that has come out. There's new court rulings. There's a superseding indictment. The FBI held a press conference yesterday and released some more video. It was Shauna Cox's video with some audio from inside comes as SUV. We're going to talk about that. There's also an investigation going on into five of the federal officers uh, that were there. So is there a conspiracy cover up afoot? I don't think so, but some other people think so. I'll tell you why I don't. We're going to break it down a little bit, uh, and we're going to break it down also with Mike. That's when he comes on, uh, and I'll tell you more about him. But before we can go any further, let me let you know that during each live broadcast, you can interact with me and the show on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric dot news and also on Twitter where I tweet from at CTR news feed. So for the show we're using hashtag CTR, hashtag Oregon standoff and hashtag Bundy Ranch. Um, I'm not jumping on the soft set hashtags specifically for this because these are getting a little more steam, especially as we get lead into the trials. Uh, if you haven't found them uh, I did create some Facebook pages and groups for the Oregon Standoff Trials and the Bundy Ranch Trials. If you do searches on those two terms, you'll find them. Uh, One is the the groups are study groups, and then the pages are just kind of a free-for-all to discuss and post. If you'd like to call into the show tonight, you can do that at 646-787-1790. If you do call in, be sure that all of your background audio is turned off because if you call in, and I hear a bunch of background noise, or if you suddenly decide you want to troll me on the air and be rude or whatever, I'm just going to cut you off. I pay for my time. I don't pay for that kind of stuff. I would love to hear you, especially if you have a differing opinion, because that's how we all learn. That's how we all grow as people, and as well as how we learn and evolve our own beliefs, which are going to get really into that, into this show later on. Quick reminder, this show is rated PG. So if you call in or you're in the chat room, it, it it's there too, okay? Um, either place, if you're interacting with the show, keep it PG-13, please. I do that for a reason. I think that the young people of our country particularly, but also of the world, um, they should hear a lot of the things that we're talking about because their opinions and their beliefs are being formed. And we want to make sure that they're not being bombarded and just inundated with disinformation. So remember, if you're listening to an archive, you're not going to be able to get through on the phones or chat with us in the live chat room because it's an archive. But if you're listening right now live, then go ahead and call in or find us in the chat room, which is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts, C-H-E-R-I Roberts. Click on show number 20 the chat will appear right beneath that slider there. If you're already on that page and you don't see the chat, hit your refresh button and then once it loads, scroll down underneath the slider and it should be there. If not, um I mean it's showing on my on my end so it should be all live up and running there's a, a bunch of people already in there. So rules of engagement for the chat room are pretty much the same as for calling in. You want to make sure that you are respectful to one another. You don't have to agree with one another. You can certainly just dis- have a discussion cuz this this is a, a dialogue not a debate as I always say. So I don't want to see a bunch of debating going on in the chat room, which I am watching, by the way, um, or on the social media pages. I want you to have a dialogue with one another because we cannot understand what we don't understand until we at least try. In, in other words, how, how can I understand what somebody with a differing opinion, where they're coming from? How can I even begin to embrace or understand in any way, okay, just to find common ground, where they're coming from if I don't try to understand them and their belief system and how it all came to be. So again, dialogue, not debate. Very, very important to me. Um, So all right, here we go. I told you that there was a lot of things that happened this week, and so let's get right at it. Uh, Pete Santilli, talk show host, Internet talk show host Pete Santilli, friend of mine. I've worked with him on things. Uh, He's been on my show. I've been on his. I'm surprised people haven't posted up the episode uh, that I was on of his that's readily available as they're cursing up all these other ones and then coming at me with or for information. I, I find that ironic. Um, I, I'm not embarrassed by it. I think it's kind of funny. But anyways, uh, so Centrally he has tried to get bail, and he's tried to get a pretrial release a, a few times, and the judge had finally, last early last week, had granted that pretrial release, uh, and to go to a halfway house in northwest portland however because he is severely indicted in the bundy 2014 bundy ranch uh issue there the, the the event that happened there in bunkerville i mean and and the charges against him there are like i said they're severe in comparison to the one conspiracy charge thus far that he has here for the oregon malheur refuge occupation um so even though this judge finally said he can be released, you know, going to the halfway house, GPS monitoring, like I mentioned last Wednesday, and also that psych evaluation, which uh, is part of that, that 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 court order for release, he had. Uh, a a marshal's hold, a U.S. marshal's hold for the Nevada charges. So what's been going on? He was. We thought we'd have a decision this Monday. Then it didn't happen. Then we thought we'd have a decision again. I'm sorry, last Friday, and then this Monday, and it still hasn't happened. Now they're saying this Friday. It could happen anytime before then as well, because you know they can they can enter something into the courts at the last minute. However, um what i my understanding from some of my sources is that what's been happening and why the delay and not a whole lot of info is that they're either trying to get the federal prosecutors in Nevada here to Oregon to you know appear before the judge and um for him to try to get bail for those charges you know to get a pretrial release for those charges or if not here in person, and this is where it's still unclear, of whether it's going to be a video court process. I don't know if uh, Oregon's federal courts would do that in in a case that's kind of this severe. I'm not quite sure. But that's kind of what's going on with Santilli. By Friday, I imagine we'll know if he's actually going to go to that halfway house anytime soon or if he's going to have to be extradited to Nevada to appear before a judge there in the state versus uh, something happening here um, for that, so it's still kind of in the air. But I've had just a ton of people all week because I know Santilli asking me about this, so I wanted to clarify that. It's still unknown whether the Oregon or the Nevada trial is going to come first. Uh, You know, obviously the arrest initially stemmed from the Oregon occupation because it was happening then and that was their opportunity. The other charges of the investigation for these other charges in Nevada have been ongoing And obviously they happened back in April of 2014. So that being said, are they going to do that trial first and then the Oregon trial? Uh, You know, who knows? Hopefully we'll hear something on that very soon. But, what we did find out today is that the judge in federal court said, yes, this is a complex case. Now, the prosecutors are waiting for that. They have a huge task ahead of them with the you know proving the burden of guilt. So what happens here is instead of having that April 19th Patriot's Day, uh, I, the irony of that, Patriot's Day that was tentatively set on the docket for the trial to begin, Uh, is now going to be pushed back, according to the judge, maybe as late as October of this year. She has not said whether she'll extend that uh, or whether they'll extend it beyond that. I don't know if any other judge will be in the process of this between now and then. I'm not sure how that works. But we know we have maybe up until October before we see a trial. Personally, I'm a little happy about that. I'm I'm glad that um, prosecutors have more time. Reason being is it'd be different if it was just those handful of people that were arrested on the night that LaVoy Finnecom was killed. But so we have 37 indictments now. Um, and, well, you know, actually, there, I think there's more counting the um, the new charges that came out, the superseding indictment today. So I, I need to include those. So we'll be on 37 indictments. Here's the other kicker. The new superseding indictment uh, pretty much points to the fact that we're going to have yet another superseding indictment coming probably soon. The one that we had today was a little unexpected to me because they had said they'd have one in March and one in April. We had the one in March, and then now we have another in March. And the way it sounds, we might have yet another in March. And who knows how many more of these are going to be. The, the next indictment, when it when and if it comes, it may be additional defendants, or it could be the same defendants with additional charges or a combination of both on the new indictment. There is one redacted, one still-sealed name of of a defendant, which typically usually means that they are, they have not yet been uh, arrested, so they're not in custody yet, and so they're not releasing that name. Um, The, uh, (laughs) sorry, I got distracted. I got distracted by the chat room. My apologies. So I just want to make sure I wasn't missing something or had said something wrong. And I'm like, I think I said that right. Anyways, so there's, like I said, just tons and tons and tons of stuff going on. I, you know, I can't imagine being on the prosecution or on the defense of this. I can't imagine whether, you know, just as a looky-loo being on one side or the other and being a participant of what happens. And I certainly can't imagine being a defendant, which we are going to be talking about in the latter half of the show, because I could very well have done a defendant, in this case, the Bundy Ranch case, and other similar type cases in the past. So today, the other thing that was a pretty big deal is that Jerry DeLemis, who is an official campaigner for Donald Trump for president, he was the the Veterans for Trump uh, campaign head, and uh, he he was indicted last week. And today he was granted no bail. Um, And then, uh, so, you know, I mean, Santilli was granted no bail too, and he's gone back in front of the judge several times since. So I don't think it's like an in-stone thing. I think any of these can keep, you know, asking for it, at at least to a certain point. I'm not really sure how that works. And and I think the guest tonight is going to be able to help us out. And so on that note, let me just tell you, our guest tonight is somebody who... Everybody asks me where where do I get all my documents, all these court documents, and I get them from several sources. But there's one particular source that I've been getting all of the Oregon standoff and Bundy ranch documents from. And his name is Jack Ryan. He is one of my friends uh, that I that I met on Twitter. He has been working in the courtrooms for more than 40 years. He's now semi-retired, but he is. Basically, kind of a coach and a trainer for reporters and reporting firms. Jack Ryan has been able to offer me all kinds of information when it comes to maybe not understanding a particular term um, or even thinking I got it straight, but. I don't understand my like, timing of it. So, you know, Jack, Jack, like I said, he's worked in this legal field in the courtroom for nearly 40 years. He's semi-retired now. He is my document king. Jack Ryan, welcome to Challenging Rhetoric.
1: Hi, Sherry. Nice Hi. to be here. I'm
0: so glad to have you. <laughs> I'm really glad to have you. And I, and I appreciate, Jack, let me to just say I appreciate you jumping in. Because it was kind of last minute, since I decided to switch gears for the show tonight because of all this new info. Um, but we have a lot to talk about. Before I before I like start kind of asking you questions to help me clarify some things for the listeners, can you kind of tell the listeners what your courtroom experience is? Why why you kind of know you 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 know you put all these documents out like in real time as, as they become available? And I know that there's there's a there's kind of like an aura around you online. <laughs> people are like, oh, this guy's a god. So can you kind of just tell them about that? I mean, I know that you use things like Pacer and stuff like that for, for, um, you know, finding about dockets and, and so on and so forth. But I think for the layperson, just to kind of do a little training for all the citizen journalists out there.
1: Well, you're right. Uh, and just like you, I use various sources. I use Pacer. I use uh, Friends from a website that I think you're familiar with called thefobbo.com. Yes, great site. There's a bunch of lawyers and uh, a lot of lawyers there, a lot of non-lawyers, people from all over the world, all walks of life, all political persuasions. Uh, So a lot of good information gathering there. And sometimes I'll see one on someone's website that I didn't know was out, and I'll pick that up, and as long as it's a public document, I'll post it. Uh, but I try to keep an eye on what's going on as I can. I do work some, so I don't just sit in front of the computer all day long. <laughs> and uh, well, I do.
0: Speaking of computers, there. Jack, before you go any further, I think the audio on your uh, computer is still on. So, if you don't mind while you're talking, if you can go ahead and uh, turn that down for us, I'd appreciate it.
1: I can do that.
0: Thank you very much. But go ahead, and continue.
1: Sorry. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that. Are you oh, there? don't worry
0: about it. Yeah, I'm here. We're still here.
1: Yeah. Uh, no. Okay. I turned the sound off.
0: We still got you, Jack.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm here.
0: Okay. Go. Go. So go ahead and continue telling the listeners um, more about kind of your document gathering, and then I think one of the things that. I appreciate and you as kind of your organization of them, and so if you can kind of explain you know when you're looking at the headings of the documents, they're kind of hard to read unless you know what you're looking for. so can you kind of maybe start there at the top of the document i
1: usually I usually take those straight off the document itself or off the docket entry that's on the uh public pacer site uh, and i uh I usually don't comment on them I take them whatever they're worded there that's how i uh them. I always try to put the case number and the date the name and the date so that people know what case we're looking at um, Scribd has been uh, having a problem lately with, normally would just uh, set up a collection for like USAV, and Bundy et al, USAV, and Bundy etc and then as documents come up I will move those into those collections so they're easy to find for the last week or 10 days, two weeks, that feature has not been working for me on Scribd. I've asked them support to try to take care of it, and I'm waiting on that. When it does come back around, I'll try to move them all so they'll all be in one place. But that's well, that's how that works. And then as far and, and as and getting them, I, I don't get them all. Uh, obviously well, because before they're just you go into the, before
0: you pick and wait jack before you tell the listener how you pick and choose what you're getting let me let me express something to the listener i for one am very grateful that you do this um i i wish more people did this and and a lot of the the big media companies obviously they do do this um, you, you're not attached to a big media, you're not even attached to a media company. This is something you do because you have a, an interest in this, particularly some of the topics that we're going to be talking about tonight. But I want the listeners to understand that you can get an account with Scribd, you can get an account with Pacer, and there's only so much that's free. There's only so much that's free. And so when people like Jack Ryan are putting out these documents and stuff out there, you need to know that at certain points these are costing them. This is a labor of love or or whatever reason that they're doing it. And we're riding on the benefit of somebody else paying for those things. So thank you very much, Jack. So go ahead and continue how you pick and choose what documents you pull.
1: Okay. Just while you're on that subject, let me say – there's also a service out there that uh, you can download where you can, as long as someone else has downloaded the document before you and paid for it, that you can usually get it for free. And that helps out awesome. a lot. Uh, That's
0: awesome. Maybe maybe you it's be willing It's called, um, it's willing called to...
1: Recap, R-E-C-A-P.
0: Okay. And, uh, I would say yes. maybe you'd be willing after the show to actually post a link to that or give me a link to that and I'll and I'll post it out there by your suggestion. Um because I it can, is important. I, I think that. that people wonder. I think that people that, that don't aren't involved in kind of some of the stuff that we do wonder, whoa, how do we find this out? How do we know this? How do we know so and so's in court at this time? And it kinda of seems like a mystery to people and it's not just their laziness and not wanting to find out. I, I have found a lot more people would like to self-explore and self-investigate. So it's good to give them tools. I know a lot of people that follow me do consider themselves to be citizen journalists uh, of some sort, and and I do try to coach them as best I can here on the show. I do do my, my, my Citizen Journalism 101 Boot Camp for people that are interested. But, um, you know, it's important to me as an independent journalist that has evolved and made many mistakes over the years, which we'll get into in a bit but that we do a better job, because you know independent doesn't mean better alternative doesn't mean no agenda that's our job to make it so that's what independent and and alternative media was supposed to be about and for in my opinion but anyway jack so let's let's talk about the court documents themselves now, when I had a question. One of my go-to people when I when I have a question about some of the stuff going on here in Oregon is I, I go to Ryan Hass over at OPB. He's been very forthcoming and very and very helpful with me. And one of the questions I had for him today was when we get these superseding indictments, I wasn't sure because as I'm reading them, they, there's there's been a couple now, and they kind of break down a little bit differently. I think depending on who's actually preparing the document. So you will be able to tell the listeners, because they keep asking me, and I, I am no expert on that, when a superseding indictment comes down, it's obviously superseding the the prior indictment. Does that mean that the previous charges are null and void, and whatever's on the new indictment is what the charges are?
1: Uh, that's a good question, and I haven't read the, all of the superseding indictment, uh, but... All of the charges that have been charged previously are still there. They're all still charged. This is additional. It can be additional okay. people. It can be additional charges. It can be a combination of both, as you said.
0: What it looks like. To I have me seen where them. I, was I have reading. actually,
1: I have actually seen them done. Depending on the jurisdiction, I've seen them done uh, different ways. I've seen them where they re- every charge that's been charged before. And add the new charges, and I've seen them where they only bring the new charges up in the new indictment. And to tell you the truth, I really haven't paid attention uh, to how these have been done. Well,
0: what I what my as I'm but going none through. The these gone none, yeah, of the none of the charges have charges gone away. Yeah, none of the charges have gone away. Like today, today's superseding indictment, the way it was laid out, the initial conspiracy charge had all the same people and then some. Including where Pete right. Santilli was, but all the additional other like f- five, I think there were five other additional charges. Um, Santilli wasn't named. The people that were named in those were specifically named on that indictment. Right. So these were ad- additional things going on. So it's kind of like it's just it's like stacking, you know, stacking, yes. stacking, stacking. A, that's so,
1: a good way to put it. And there will probably yeah, be more. So,
0: Oh, yeah. Well, the way the the one read today, as I said, it, it alludes, very seriously alludes with the language on page four. Um, if you haven't seen it, I'll post it up again. But on the language on page four, it alludes that there is yet at least one more superseding indictment coming. So as I told the listeners, and, and you can maybe elaborate on that, this means basically it could be more charges for those that are already um, charged or it could be new defendants altogether or a combination of both. Is that correct? Absolutely. So in the courts, courts, did you have experience both in, like, you know, regular state courts as well as federal courts, Jeff?
1: I worked in both state court and federal court, and then I had my own freelance firm for about 30 years.
0: So with one of the things that everybody asks me, and I say this all the time, and, and I believe I'm correct on this, is that in federal courtrooms cameras are not allowed. There's a relatively new program, that a a very small handful of states that are are part of this program, where they're starting to allow federal cameras in as a, a beta test, or allow cameras into the federal court in those states as kind of a beta test. And I don't even think it's all cases, all courtrooms. I think it's just kind of select things. We do not have that here in Oregon. Oregon is not a part of that program. Everybody uh, wants to see because there's two people now. Kenneth uh, Men- Menden. I'm going to say is I'm going to murder his last name. Mendon back, Mendel back. Kenneth, as right. well as today, Ryan Bundy. Ryan Bundy said today uh, he wa- he told the judge today he wants to represent himself. So there there yep. there's two now that are kind of going full sovereign citizen in in the federal courtroom, saying that they don't recognize jurisdiction and stuff like that. So how how can that work? How how would something like that work?
1: If- is there
0: any work. opportunity? Is there any opportunity, or is it just this mandated law? Is there any opportunity that, because of the scope uh, and the content or, or the topic of this particular trial uh, or trials between Oregon and Nevada, that the, the government may consider going ahead and allowing a, a, a camera in the courtroom? And it's a, two, it's a two-part question because when we're talking about people, you know, fully pulling the sovereign citizen thing. Um, there are some people who just want to see that for the, the potential humor purposes of that. And then those defendants, there are probably all the defendants would like to have cameras in there because they want to put on a show for the country and, you know, the Constitution. So if you can kind of address all that, if you don't mind.
1: I have seen that done on a case-by-case basis as well. Uh, I've uh, seen them where they've had closed-circuit like there's overflow crowds and they'll put a closed circuit into another courtroom for people to sit that's overflow. I've seen a few courts that will allow certain cameras in with permission. Uh, there was cases in California uh, back during the birther days where a judge uh, would allow a, a uh, member of the press in with a camera uh, with permission they would have to request permission and he would decide who, if any, he was going to allow in it and uh, film the proceeding. So it can happen whether or not they're in the program or not. It's entirely up to that judge for the most part. I would be surprised if they allow him in this case, but anything can happen.
0: Speaking of anything that can happen, something that just uh, I just got word of since we went live is that David Bundy, Davey Bundy, also uh, was told no bail today. Um, so he's not getting out of jail anytime soon. Um, right. So there's another one. And I, and I think we're going to hear a lot more of that by within the next couple hours off air, and I'll be tweeting and posting as well as tomorrow. I, I think that everything's so fluid right now, and, and truly... The people that are only new, learning about, because while the Oregon standoff was going on, the overwhelming majority of the country, the country that this was happening in, let alone even the state that I live in here in Oregon, was unaware this was happening. It seems <laughs> to those following that it was a really big thing, you know, hashtag Oregon standoff, boy, it's a party. But the reality is is that very, very few Very few people have paid attention, as well as to the Bundy Ranch episode, which was much more severe in my opinion. The thing is, is that sadly, and and I could be completely wrong, this could be my own personal bias, but sadly, I believe this is in fact one of the most important cases, both trials, okay, Oregon and Nevada, in my living history. I'm going to be 50 years old in a couple of years, okay, In my history, I believe this is one of the (laughs) – I believe, though, that this is really one of the the most important historical cases that are happening for many, many, many reasons. So real quick, Jack, before I I, I jump into another segment and then come back to the conversation, I want to ask you, with regards to cameras in federal courtrooms, in general, even though they're not allowed – does that mean that there's not even a federal camera for their own documentation not running? I would assume that they have their own camera that records it or no? Do you know? No. Wow. Generally That's speaking, pretty crazy. For
1: the most part, no.
0: Well, you know what? They when usually ask, have most of like them most
1: of them have I, most of them some I say most. Some uh will have a courtroom audio recorder but not all the court reporters generally will have a means to do audio recording but that's their file it belongs to them Uh, so so
0: before I cut cut to a quick segment liar of the week let me ask you something Jack because we're going to go even deeper into that but real quick question on court reporting is there somebody as a court reporter when you're when you're in there and you're doing all your stuff afterwards? Is there somebody that checks your court reporting?
1: I would ha- I would have somebody proofread it. Depends on what you mean by check.
0: Well, as a journalist, I, have, I might have I an have editor that you know proofreads or goes through. But do you have somebody that goes in and it's more than you know checking, er- you know, you know, uh, court reporter errors, but checking
1: Ab- absolutely, for- absolutely not, no.
0: So c- can I kind of, and I don't, I'm not trying to put you in a corner. I'm very curious. I hadn't even thought about this until just this conversation. So if a court reporter is doing their court reporting is there not any kind of necessarily accountability to what they've put into that record? I mean, could it be wrong at any time and it's still like the official thing? Is
1: everybody or anybody absolutely perfect? The answer to that is no. <laughs> the, uh, that's, a, that's a good
0: I, answer. I can
1: tell you that uh, to make a substantive <clears throat> error that would change what was actually said would be the odds of that would be minuscule, okay? People are highly skilled. Very few people can do it at all. Um, Going through school, it's about a 98% dropout rate. After that, of those 2%, there's only about 1% of those left after two years. It's not an easy job. It's a stressful job. The people that do it, for the most part, are highly skilled, very ethical, and do a great job. Will you see some mistakes in uh, spelling or maybe uh, something along those lines? Yeah, but a substantive error, extremely
0: rare. And there's
1: ways to to correct that if if somebody feels that that's happening.
0: So that's where we're going to go next, right after this really quick segment, because I haven't done this in a few weeks because I've had a pretty talk show. I'm going to take a moment to do it right now. It's time for Liar of the Week. Okay, I hate to say it, this week's Liar of the Week, or this month, and even last month's Liar of the Week, is actually some federal authorities. Here's the deal. I am uh, very, I am on the record, I'm very impressed with the way that local and federal law enforcement handled the Oregon standoff. However, in the press conference yesterday, we have found out that one of the federal agents on the scene, on the highway here uh, between Burns and John Day, Oregon, where LaVoy Finnegan was killed, had, in fact, fired two shots. One did hit the vehicle. The other one uh, just went kind of off into nowhere. Uh, They said kind of this crazy shot, that they don't know what happened to it. Now, why did the person fire? Well, they fired because LaVoy Finnegan's vehicle was barreling towards the roadblock, is what my understanding is from the evidence that I looked at last night and today. I'm still going over it, um, so I'm not saying that that is 100% exactly what happened, but that is what I have gathered so far. But here's the deal. The federal agent and four other people, for some reason unknown, have covered it up thus far in the investigation, and that is what came out in the press conference yesterday. Uh, Nothing else that came out in that press conference yesterday was mind-blowing to me. I know that there are many people that that only reinforced what they wanted it to reinforce, and that could be people of all different angles of this, and we're going to really kind of go deep into that here in a minute, which I've promised for, for a while, and I kind of toe into it each, each show about my involvement with conspiracy theorists, because I am a conspiracy theorist myself, but not all things are conspiracies, and I'm really set up with conspiracy pornographers and hoaxers and, and all of that. So here's the deal. There are five federal agents, like I said, that are currently under investigation because did they do something wrong? I don't know. Nobody knows. Who would know? Because it hasn't been being talked about because it's been being covered up. That's not okay. We live in a country for the last several years we have seen excessive force of police brutality, cops shooting unarmed individuals in this country, predominantly a lot of uh, African-American individuals, but of all races and colors as well. And this is something that can't be overlooked. Why did the feds fire? Why does it matter whether the feds fired or the Oregon State Police? They've been very adamant that it was the bullets from the Oregon State Police that actually killed Lavoie. Now, is that because these are sovereign citizens that are, quote-unquote, constitutionalists and, and they they, they respect Police a little better than federal, you know, state police over them over the feds. I have no idea what's going on here. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why are they just not talking about this? Why did they keep it quiet? I'm very curious about this investigation. Do I think there's a conspiracy here? Obviously, we have more than 37 indictments for conspiracy charges. Conspiracies are real. Okay, the idea that. One person and four others covered something up, meaning a lot, you know, collaborated their stories and stuff. That's a conspiracy. That's real. Conspiracies are real. Okay, whether there's a nefarious purpose and what that purpose is is a whole different thing. Jack, let's talk conspiracies. All right. Are you with me, Jack? <laughs> I'm yeah. like, did I lose you there? <laughs> no.
1: Um.
0: So we have Jack. We we have a situation that that we've been, you know, following with the Oregon standoff and the Bundy Ranch trials and um, that are dealing with what most people are looking at as sovereign citizens. But I challenge you that um, there's only a small portion of these people that are actual sovereign citizens, if at all. Um, Most of these people are a hodgepodge group of anti-government people from a lot of different things, I completely believe. But the majority of the people involved in both of these episodes knew little about BOM and all the land issues that the real ranchers have before jumping in. That's a, a weird dynamic that's been happening with extremists of lots of different events around the country.
1: Well, that's probably true. Although, if you listen to them um, and pay attention closely on social media, and some of the things they would say in interviews or so forth. There's a there's a lot of the so-called sovereign citizen in more of them than I think you believe. Well, that's my. Opinion. I
0: you know the you're saying that you think that more of them are sovereign citizens than I believe. Is that what you're saying?
1: Either are quote unquote sovereign citizens part of the movement, or they believe. A lot of what the sovereign citizens say, even though they may not be completely conversant in all its language and oddities, okay, because the, a lot, the of, latter the, a lot part of the phrases, of that. a lot of the phrases you hear them say, are are what sovereign citizens do. Mettenbach uh, in court today, you know, you don't have an approved jurisdiction. That is certainly uh, sovereign citizen rhetoric. Well, that's just one recent example that popped into my mind.
0: Well, no, and I and I agree, but but I but as as you know, because we've talked quite a bit here over the past month or so, um, you know, I I know some of these people personally, um, and like Santilli, for instance, I've actually worked with. Um, there are other people that I'm aware of because they were parts of other groups that I have been a part of. Now, when I say I was a part of a group, let me be clear here. One of the things that most conspiracy theorists and activists really have and probably still dislike about me personally is that I won't join a group. I don't want to be a part of a group because I'm not about groupthink and lockstep. And although they say they're not about groupthink and lockstep, I'm here to tell you that's really what it is, and that's kind of how we get into these sorts of situations. So you told me that you had some questions um, which is one of the reasons that I invited you on, not just your courtroom expertise, but just in our involvement and in seeing what I've put out there and what I do um, and what I've said. You told me that you had some questions about me and my involvement in groups like this, Jack.
1: Oh, yeah. it's uh, when I uh, first uh, saw your introductory on, I think it was on the um uh, that you had been a part of them. You knew these. I used to... Believes whatever your language was. I became very curious um, because I have I have some friends who believe this stuff, for you know a good part of it or maybe all of it. But I've never talked to anyone as to how in the world, <laughs> do You seem like a very intelligent lady. How do intelligent yeah. people come to be, come to believe? Uh, do they just want to belong to somebody that? says what they want to hear, we're angry at the government, so the sovereign citizens say this, or the militia says this, the three percenters, the PPN, the Freeman, whatever group they are, because they somewhat believe different things as well, Uh, how does someone that intelligent not be willing to do research and just believe blindly?
0: Okay, I I can answer that to a certain extent. One thing that, um, and and I hope the listener actually learns something just from the way Jack posed his question to me and the way I'm going to respond. Because to most people that would have very polar ideas and thoughts and beliefs like Jack and I have would immediately go into the ad hominem pack or the, the, um, you know, these cliches that, that just stop conversation in in, in their tracks. Um, as Jack knows, I am an intelligent person. i That's not a bragging, right? I, I, I prove that at least every week on this show, but in all the other things that I do. Do I have my blonde moments? Sure, I do. Are my conspiracy theories blonde moments? Maybe. I don't think so. But you you say, you know, how can somebody believe something blindly without research? Yet most, of the people that I consider true researchers on conspiracies, and I'm not—I'm not talking about the conspiracy pornographers because there's a difference here. But there are people that I know that I'm still friends with this to to this day because they've shown me a respectability and a credibility about them and their research. I research all day long, whether it's for the show or on a piece of interest. What I can tell the listeners right now is that I was one of the very small group of original 9-11 truthers. My questions about what happened on 9-11 actually began in December of the year it happened in 2001. I later became um, uh, apprised of an organization, or not an organization, of of a book, Um, called Censored, whatever that year was, uh, an organization called a department that was at the time out of Sonoma State University. And um, I found some very valuable information there. I have been a part of true investigations. I, with my own eyes, with regards to 9-11, have actually seen dust that was collected in New York under the microscope. I have seen the thermite and thermate the problem with that dust is as anybody listening and i know tonight there are many attorneys and legal sorts that happen to be listening and of course other conspiracy theorists that that hate what i have to say with regards to oregon standoff but the reality is is that the dust from the world trade center from down at at ground zero in new york there was no line of accession, which means uh you know chain of custody for the dust so it is inadmissible in court a lady scooped it up you know that day put it away in her apartment she lived right there where it happened and then it was just there until people you know she she provided it to Professor Stephen Jones from bringing me on university and then it kind of went from there so the the reality is is that I've seen it do I believe what I've seen with my own eyes do I believe the real research that I have actually done as a journalist I do believe that however what I can say is that as a conspiracy theorist what I have found happen is that movements become as my friend Scott Ford calls them all the time ghettos because suddenly I'm not going to say they're agent provocateurs and feds and all of that or plants, but what happens is is as they evolve, all sorts of people that are of all walks of life. So let me give a prime example. Um, Ron Paul. Uh, I'm not a huge fan. There's many things that he says that I like and agree with, but I'm not a political politician stamper. Ron Paul, there was a time when he was running for president the last time that he promised 9-11 truth or a new investigation 9-11 for their support, basically. So they supported. Oh, boy, did they support. I returned from being out of state. I lived in California, moved to Tennessee for about six months, I came back, and in that 6 month period, the 9-11 treatment movement had completely changed. I go to uh, an event that was supposed to be a big march. Ron Paul was going to be there, blah, blah, blah. And it was nothing more than a Ron Paul event, and it was, in fact, the first Tea Party event here in the United States of America. I was disgusted. Okay, so really rapidly what happens is, is that just because you have one thought, opinion, or belief in common with somebody, you gravitate to like minds. Because it feels good, because the people that are closest to you, your friends and family that you love and that supposedly love you, don't want to hear it. It's just like what I'm talking about on, on my other show on the series, Sickness of Silence, about childhood sexual abuse. People cringe. They don't want to hear it. Okay, They would rather just somehow shut you down real quick. That's part of cognitive disson- dissonance. And, Jack, so let's talk about that.
1: Okay, well, here's the kind of thing I was talking about. I, of course, know about... You know all conspiracy theories—the real famous ones that everybody knows about—the Lincoln, the Kennedy, the moon landing—all those kind of things. And as you brought up 9/11, uh, but I never got really interested in what makes these people tick until the Obama birthers came along. Uh-huh. And what That's has always, what has always boggled my mind is. That and to a great extent, this, these cases, the Bundy cases, they're legal cases. The birthers would put forth these arguments that were extra legal, to put it nicely. Some of them were just made <laughs> up out. Of, some of them were just made up out of thin air. Some of them, they went into say a, a statute or case law, and they would quote mine. Uh, and then make pay out of that. But when people who know can go into court documents, into statutes, and explain in very common language, here is what it really says, here is what it really means, this is what the courts have said, this is what the courts have ruled, this is what history says, and they just ignore it because it's not what they want to hear. Um, you know, it's it's not that's, what that's I want to hear. The bias. government in this case, they keep saying the government can't own land. Well, that's absolute baloney. The government can own land. The Constitution says so, and there's a plethora of Supreme Court cases that say so. They're just, they're wrong. But you can tell these people over and over, you can show them the case law, you can show them the constitutional language, and it's just they just don't want to hear it. It's like, ooh, talk to the end. We're not going to listen. Well,
0: to yeah, that. that's because you're talking to a brick wall at that point. And so, for the listeners who maybe are new to the, these cases that we're discussing, uh, not nine eleven, but the Oregon and the Nevada stuff. For those listeners, let me let me just say that we're talking about people like Shawna T- Cox. We're talking about even people like John Ritzheimer, and 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 I use those two two people for for a specific example. They're very, very different people. Okay, The life that Shawna Cox lives prior to all this, her regular daily life as mommy, grandma, and all that, and John Ritzheimer's life as daddy, militia man, and all that are dramatically different. People like John Ritzheimer, they can t- call the glory of the flag and God and all of that, Okay, but their real thing is is they're militia guys with a chip on their so- shoulder. And I'm sorry that this has happened to some veterans, but I see why it has, because I've been on both sides of this. And and Jack, I just gotta say that there is an immense distrust of the government in the United States. And it's not just conspiracy theorists. All of us have some sort of a a, a recreational bitch at the very least about something we think the government or a politician that was leading has done wrong. The of studies show and studies show Studies that have gone on for more than 10 years with recent releases have shown that pretty much everybody, everybody believes in one conspiracy or another, at least one, almost every single person. The problem is is that our own conspiracies that we buy into sound so outlandish to somebody who buys into something else. And when we try to talk about it, it's easy to write each other off as liars. There's reasons that we believe in these things. Now, I want to point out, you mentioned a few very real conspiracies, Jack, but I want to point out the mother of all conspiracies, okay? And that was the Manhattan Project, where more than 120,000 people were in on the conspiracy, in on the secret, and still kept it silent. How? How did that happen? because it was compartmentalized everybody that was a part of it had a job and they and it was a need-to-know basis they only knew what they were doing so they didn't know the big picture of it all the manhattan project was a very big deal in this country more than 120,000 people 120,000 people kept that secret and participated in that conspiracy so anybody listening i don't care what you believe I really don't care what you believe, but you cannot discount that conspiracies are real. We have all these indictments. Where are they? There for a conspiracy charge? Conspiracies are real, but not everything's a conspiracy, Jack, as you know. So let's talk about some other conspiracies since 9/11. And what the, you asked, how does one get be in it and get out of it? Um, you know, I had a big slap in the face after the Aurora theater shooting, and then followed by the Sandy Hook shooting and the immediate hoaxer things and crisis actor. B- baloney that came out after that, and the pure ridiculousness—that's got to drive someone like you nuts.
1: You, you know, I, I read uh, some site the other day. I lost track of it because I didn't want to go back. But they—they they contend everything is a false flag event. To that since certainly since let's the be talking about soil. Alex
0: Jones, no?
1: <laughs> Sir? well, he's probably one of the worst, but. This probably goes beyond even him. They believe that even the attack on Pearl Harbor was a false flag event and was a put up job by the government. Uh, and certainly, almost anything and everything that's happened since then. And for all I know, they may go back to, you know, World War One and who knows. But they're they have a lot of uh, subscribers, a lot of followers, a lot of commenters, and uh, I don't know if. I've found that some of them just like to go in there and they're not trolling, but they just want to belong to that group of people for a while. They feel like if I go in there and talk and people talk back to me on the Internet and whatever, I have a sense of belonging. Uh, And I've found that to be partially true with some of the people. It is.
0: It's in fact partially true because what happens is when when, when you – discover something that you believe is real whether it is or not when you when you discover something that you believe is real and you start talking to, to it about it talking about it sorry to the very real day-to-day people in your physical life and they start kind of pulling back from you and shunning you or not wanting to be around or hear you you start looking for other people and as soon as you find somebody like-minded it's this magnetism. There, there is an arousal. It's not a sexual arousal, but when when it comes to cultish behavior, when it comes to extremism, okay, there is an arousal. And if you look up the definition of arousal, you'll see it's not a sexual thing in general. Um, and 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 a really good example. For people that have been following this, if you have been peeking over and following what Maureen Peltier, uh, Staff Sergeant Moe has been doing, you can see she's been very, very uh, long extended periods of time in this sort of manic persona. It is this hyper arousal for this cause and what's happening and the spotlight that, that they, they perceive is shined on it. Unfortunately, they don't realize how small the spotlight really is that's been shining on this case. I wish it was bigger because I do think it's very important. Um, Jack, before we wrap up and I start into the closing and everything, do you have some final thoughts? Um, and, and I want to explore this further because, I, as I promised the listeners, I'm going to go more and more into my experience um, in and out of these groups before, during, and after, per, per se, but do you do you have any final question or final thought just for tonight on on all of this or on the cases themselves?
1: Actually, I just wanted to expand a little bit on a question you asked me earlier, since I've got a couple of minutes, and that is sure. uh, why I why I do this. And I will tell you, it started with the birthers in that they would uh, have court hearings, or they would file papers, or a judge would make a ruling, or a motion would be responded to, and they would on their blogs and their web pages and Say here's what happened and people would just go crazy and they'd be raising Cain and say oh my god how could anybody do that so the answer is go to the document get the document get the motion get the response get the ruling get the transcript and say no that's not what happened here's what really happened and if there's questions about it because some people may not understand the legal language that's one thing. But what anybody can sit and read it? a transcript and say, here's, it, though, here's what they said. You know, you can't deny what they said, and you said they said something else, and that's not true, and that's why I started doing it. If you've got the documentation, I feel that's at least, at the very least, a good starting point.
0: That's true. But but what if, okay, because you've experienced this yourself, we talked about it, what if you encounter somebody who doesn't trust the document and that's legit and we're going to get i i guarantee you listeners we're going to keep going deeper into this this is very important to me to make you understand the mindset because something is happening here in the united states because of technology and this connected this your disconnected connectivity or whatever that we have going on there is something that is really manifesting here that is of great import so Jack, it's not just because someone is a dumbass. It's not just because someone is ignorant or stupid. There are people, due to lots of different reasons, that flat out don't trust it. How They don't trust what's going on in a courtroom. They don't trust a document to be undoctored and real. I mean, when we, like people that file FOIAs and that you get back after spending a bunch of time and money on a FOIA and you got like maybe 10 words out of, you know, a thousand that aren't redacted. How
1: do you trust it? Well, that's a matter of trying to change change the law where, okay, they're not going to reveal certain things under certain circumstances. Get the law changed, work to get the law changed to where this can be revealed or that can be revealed, or um, enough personnel where they can uh, respond more quickly if, where FOIA is concerned. As far as court documents are concerned, where you've got like in these cases, you've got the indictments, you've got uh, attorneys for both sides filing motions, filing responses, judges making rulings. Those documents are prepared. They're filed in the court. They pop up on a public document. They're not going to be changed. They are what they are. And anybody who can't accept that, then it's just, you know, it's a personal problem. A lot of a lot of mistrust in a lot of things is because I don't understand it. How does the court work? What is the law? What is the procedure? How can a court possibly do that? Well, it's the law. How could they do that? Well, they made a mistake. Will it be corrected? Normally, yeah, that's what appeals are for. That's why we have the several steps to correct. The mistakes that are made because nobody's perfect, it's like uh scotus uh decisions are certainly not always what everybody wants, just like any court decision is not a jury decision, may not be There's always two sides uh it's like the seminal case in the land ownership by the government is a case called Kleppi v, New Mexico. Uh, it was a unanimous Scotus case now. Some people are going to disagree with that's what it should be, but the bottom line is it and a plethora of others are what the courts have said. So you can argue that it's a bad decision, but you can't argue that it is the decision that was made. So if you want that changed, then you go through the process of trying to get the laws changed. That's how it works.
0: All right. Well, Jack, thank you so, so much for uh, being a guest on the show tonight. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I hope to have you come back on again. I I do appreciate it. I I
1: would love to come back.
0: Okay, so I'm going to get the last word on that. I want to make sure that the listener knows that I know... There's there's no way around this. There are attorneys, there are judges, whether on the Supreme Court or in a regular state courtroom, okay? It doesn't matter. There are lots of judges and lots of people of power that have been indicted on their own bullshit over the decades and centuries. Corrupt people happen everywhere, everywhere, okay? It doesn't matter what your title is. In fact, some people specifically seek power and titles so that they can be even more corrupt and not be busted at it, hopefully. So does that mean that everybody is corrupt, every judge is corrupt? No, it doesn't. Does it mean every cop is going to shoot you if you're unarmed? No, it doesn't. Does it mean everything is a conspiracy? No, it doesn't. In the 2007 book, Propaganda American Style, Style, Noam Chomsky had remarked, for those who stubbornly seek freedom around the world, there could be no more urgent task than to come to understand the mechanisms and practices of indoctrination. These are easy to perceive in the totalitarian totalitarian societies, much less so in the propaganda system to which we are subjected and in which all too often we serve as unwilling or unwitting instruments. Now, maybe he didn't mean it the way that I'm going to say it, but let me tell you something. Conspiracy theorists, even activists that aren't into conspiracy you're perpetuating your own baloney, just like the FBI perpetuated their own conspiracy in the Oregon standoff by keeping something a secret. There's no need for that. We need to have more transparency. We need to we need to move forward, not backwards. This means that more than you think it does. Okay, so if you're a conspiracy theorist, those who seek only to confirm, you need to stop seeking truth, because in doing so, you're becoming the creators and curators of the very propaganda that you say you fight against. What you need to do is stop, and I don't mean stop taking truth, I mean stop taking confirmation of your truth. Do it backwards. Find something that argues your truth, but not just so you can give it five minutes of your attention. Truly study it as if you believe it. At some point you're going to come a little bit closer to what the truth is. ChallengingTheRhetoric.News, I'll be back next Wednesday. Thanks so much, Jack Ryan, and thanks so much to all the listeners. I really loved having you tonight. Share, share, share.